Thank you for that that podcast safe music. Oh yeah, definitely. That gets us started. Totally copyrighted infringement and everything there. I'm all about infringing on copyright. Yes. Uh, as much as possible. As long as no one listens to this and as long as we don't try to monetize it, we can do whatever we want. Yeah, boy. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Geek and Spiel podcast. My name is Jacob, and today I'm joined, of course, by Jeff. Hello. And for the first time on the podcast, we have Eric. Yeah. Yeah, what up? Yeah. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar, Eric is a friend of ours. He has also contributed to the blog previously. He has um, posted several articles. In fact, he has posted one of our most successful articles, one on the, the Soulsborne series, which is to this day still one of the top posts that gets visited on the blog. Hey, look, I did something right with my life for once. You got to give yourself a little more credit. That's what the banks are supposed to do. I pay my <laughs> bills. They give me credit. Uh, they don't like giving out credit. No, no, they don't. Just like I don't like to give out credit. That's why I changed all of Jeff's articles to my name. Anyway. No. <laughs> Before we get started, it will be really good to talk about Extra Life, the fundraising event that we're going to be doing in November, on November 2nd. It is coming up fast. We're less than two months away. You can find information and where to donate. You can donate to myself or to Jeff or to Eric, who's got to put his thing together, but he'll, it'll happen. I'll, I'll work on it as we're recording this, actually. And also, don't forget about the Bedtime Gamers. Bedtime? No, too. no. This is our podcast, okay? This is... This is our podcast, Bedtime Gamers. Who do they oh, think they are? They've been shamelessly shilling for us, too. So No, that, that's their problem. That's their mistake, okay? <laughs> this is the Geekenspiel podcast, okay? They can go take their super attractive, super well-produced, super interesting podcast and, 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 their, and their little baby and all their games... Yeah, they can just go do it elsewhere. Yeah, go. Aww, muffin. Yeah, donate money to any of us that you want to donate money to, especially me. And uh, let's try to help out children's hospitals because, trust me, the money goes towards really cool stuff. And you can actually, if you want, find a list of what percentage of each money goes towards each hospital, which is really neat. Anita and I were looking through it and seeing what a lot of the bigger hospitals around the country where they put that money. We got a lot of stuff to talk about today. The first thing I want to talk about is something that may not be super relevant because I want to talk about the Fast and Furious franchise. And I'm not even going to talk about the new movie that came out because I haven't seen it. Too Fast, Too Furious, man. Three Fast, Three Furious. Jeff, I just found out you and I are caught up to the same level of movie we've seen up to the fifth. Yes. And Eric has seen all of them. Except for the uh, the new like little spinoff they did with uh, The Rock. Yeah, the, Hob the Hobbs and Shaw one. Yeah, I haven't seen that. About a couple months ago, uh, you could say I've never seen a single Fast and Furious movie. And uh, so <laughs> we see the Hobbs and Shaw trailer before movies, and I'm like, this looks amazing. I really want to see this. And even Anita's like, yeah, I've never seen the Fast and Furious either. So we're like, let's watch them. Let's do what we should have done since 2001. So this is me coming from a place of never having seen them and never experienced them and now seeing them all for the first time. and. Uh, that's why I need to ask both you, Jeff and Eric, what the actual hell? See, it started off as a drag racing movie with a little bit of action in it. It was really cool. And then they got, they may have gotten into the peyote or something and just said, hey, let's like make all these ridiculous stunts and everything. I mean, not only that, because 
the the biggest takeaway from Fast and Furious is that if you're a street criminal 20 years ago stealing VCRs, that nowadays you'll be saving the world. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. I feel like because 19 years ago when those were coming out, I was, I don't know, six, seven years old when the first ones were coming out. I feel like that I was deprived of an opportunity to be more than I am. Yes. <laughs> I was never taught to steal VCRs. Um, and be fast which, which and aren't even relevant now, obviously. <laughs> they were stealing the large, like the big tube TVs that I had back in college, the kind that they can't even make anymore. <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> like, these are worth tons of money. And I'm like, you can get those at a pawn shop right now for like 10 bucks, if even. And then another thing is for some godforsaken reason, they decided to replace Vin Diesel with some guy that I don't think anybody's heard of since for uh, Tokyo Drift. Oh, yeah. And when I first watched it, you know, they ask him, He's asking, you know, what does DK mean? Because it means Drift King. I entirely expected this dumb country bumpkin to just say Donkey Kong. (laughs) The same thing. I think I said it out loud. And it it didn't disappoint in that. I've got three points I wanted to make about this series that I've been introduced to for the first time. The first point is that the very first movie, The Fast and the Furious from 2001, And the second one are the perfect encapsulation of the early 2000s. This movie is a damn time capsule. I would also like to note that you've seen, you said you've seen four and five, right? Yes. Fast and Furious 3, uh, Tokyo Drift, takes place around the same time as Fast 7, I think. Yes, it's a, it's a, um, like chronologically. It's a, it's a, everything else is technically the prequel after that. Yeah. Because a character who dies in that movie becomes a regular character after that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So hold on, I'm, I'm going to come back to that because I've I've got opinions about Tokyo Drift. I've got opinions, but I need I need to address a couple things first. I loved Tokyo Drift. We'll, we'll get to that. Hold on. Uh, first of all, <laughs> first of all, like I said, the movie's a damn time capsule. The outfits, the cinematography, everything about it is just so early 2000s. It was kind of cringy to watch. My second point is that this series suffers from what I call the lethal weapon syndrome. Have any of you seen all four Lethal Weapon movies? I've seen three. I think I've and seen like four one or two, and... maybe. But I'm a fan of Lethal Weapon movies. <laughs> the very first Lethal Weapon movie with Mel Gibson and oh god, I'm going to mess this up. Is it Danny Glover or Donald Glover? Danny Glover. Thank you, Danny Glover. Yeah, I don't think it would have been Donald Glover 25 years ago, 30 years ago. The Danny and the Donalds are throwing me off, okay? They're both Glovers. There's not a lot of Glovers out there. Cut me some slack. Never. So the very first movie in the Lethal Weapon series, the whole point is that Mel Gibson is the lethal weapon. He knows all these martial arts. He's got like a mixed martial arts background, and he's got this like, he himself is the deadly lethal weapon. And at the very end of the movie, he has like this huge fight. I think like I want to say on like the lawn of someone's house or something, you know, just a total, you know, like late 80s or, or like mid 80s kind of like obsession with martial arts kind of fight scene going on. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. After that movie, they forget he has any martial arts skills at all. And the second movie, he goes up against like a South African kickboxer. And in the fourth movie, he goes up against Jet. Lee. Jet freaking Lee. Which, by the way, if you have not seen Lethal Weapon 4, I highly recommend it because Jet Lee is amazing and he is like unstoppable. Is. Oh my god, he was amazing in it. They do like 50 things to him to stop him and they just can't until the very end. But that's the point. It's like they forgot that whole plot point. That's what Fast and Furious is. The very first movie 
it's like they're obsessed with cars to the point where every time a hood pops, you think they're going to pop a blood vessel. Like they're using techno babble on cars. They're using words I've never even heard before. The dialogue is oh. <laughs> the dialogue is either about how important family is or some obscure car reference that only like huge car nerds are going to get. By the second movie, they're like, hey, nice car. They're like, yeah, it's red. Cool. And then they race around and nothing important happens. Yeah. At one point, I don't know if it's four or five. They're like, we need to race for pink slips. we got to get new cars. That's five. That was five. They do that and they go to the race. And then before the race happens, they cut and they've already won the cars. They just cut the race completely. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that at that point, it's assumed that you don't mess with Vin Diesel because he has a Dodge Charger. And he will win. <laughs> Yeah, he will ruin you. But that's the point. You're supposed to there, – there's an order to things. There's certain things every every one of these movies have to have. You have to have the, the legal street race. You have to have Vin Diesel and a white wife beater. You need to have – you need to have some random rapper. Yep. I'm pretty sure that Ludacris is an actual, like, permanent cast member in that series. He is. Now I want to get to my last point, and that is the ridiculousness of these movies, and this is where I want to talk about Tokyo Drift. Jeffrey, you said you like Tokyo Drift. Oh, I loved it. But can you please tell me the main conflict of that movie? <laughs> Cars, racing, <laughs> thing, <laughs> drifting. I'm, I'm pretty sure, and it's been a while since I've seen it, but I'm pretty sure the movie is about the country boy ends up his mom like makes him move to Japan to live with his dad because his dad's like a government contractor or some weird crap like that. He's in the and, military, I think. Okay, it's something like that. And he ends up going to the school where all the Japanese kids are mean to him because yep. first of all he's white, second of all he's the most like caricature country man you've ever seen. <laughs> yes. Oh, absolutely. And so he decides, you know, I was good at, at racing in the country. I'm going to try and race these these Tokyo people. And then he does and fails terribly. Because he can't drift. He, because he can't drift. I'll learn how to Tokyo drift. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, of course. You have to have the little Japanese schoolgirls singing the little J-pop thing. And Don't also... Drift. Also, I'm pretty sure that um, for some reason... Lil Bow Wow is also <laughs> in the Japanese school, and he becomes friends with the country guy. He, dr yeah. he drives a ridiculous Hulk car, which I which I enjoyed immensely. Yeah, it was awesome. It's just besides not having any any actual plot, you also bring up that like there's a love interest who's not Japanese, also, and I think with the exception of the one guy who befriends him and becomes a later character in the series there's not a single good japanese character in that movie every japanese person is either unnamed or bad well i mean it, yeah. it's also that movie came out in in 2005 ish and i think that back then you could do and i'm not saying it's a good thing but back then you could do like these racial caricatures like that and nobody would blink an eye Right. Yeah, I think it was a lot. It was a much different world back then. I agree with that. Yeah. So there's that because, like the the entire like side cast is just like, oh, they're Japanese people and they're just playing like video games and and whatever you know whatever else Japanese people do. Like that's it. That's all they got. That's what they do, right? That and karaoke, I think. Yeah, that, well, karaoke is yep. huge. Yeah, karaoke, video games, and uh, and sushi, and that's and Godzilla. That's all. That's all that's over there. Yep, exactly. At one point near the end of the movie, they're building a car for the final like. Dr uh, drifting race 
and it's like the main character, Bow Wow. By the way, the main character, that's his name. I don't know what his name is. He is the most generic. He is the default setting on a when you create a video game character. That's what that guy is. Let's find out what his name is. To the interwebs. Let's Google it real quick. His name is uh, Sean Boswell. The actor or the character? The character. Okay. <laughs> and fun fact, the uh, actor is currently on NCIS... Uh... Which one was it? Oh my god, that's the thing. It's another. He's a generic guy on one of those generic shows. You can't even tell me which NCIS it is. It's the one with the uh, guy from Quantum Leap. Oh. Um, I still don't know. He also he also did apparently make a cameo in um, Furious Seven. Oh well, I haven't haven't gotten that far. Yeah. And he is uh, the NCIS. He is in. He showed up in a couple episodes in original NCIS and is a permanent cast member in NCIS New Orleans. I was going to guess uh, New Orleans because yeah. it was the most random one I could think of. Nolans. Nolans. Nolans, yeah. So it's it's him, the love interest girl, Lil Bow Wow, and then this like entire cadre of Japanese school people who hang out with them who we are never introduced to and <laughs> never get their names. We never hear them talk, but they're all like hang out with him like he's the coolest guy. And I think all he does is sit there in class and not know how to speak Japanese. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, the main, if you want to call it, villain of that movie was, like, the son of, like, some Yakuza boss. Yes. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we never see them do anything Yakuza-based. You never see anything bad happen. You never see them, like, be gangsters other than stand around looking threatening. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And play Mahjong. Yes, yes. Also... Looking at the Wikipedia here, I'd like to point out that uh, Bow Wow's character's name in that movie is Twinkie. Oh my god. Because of course it is. We sat and watched that movie. Jeff, I'm... I... F- I freaking <laughs> loved it. I loved it. It what It's B-rated bad movie, even by Fast and Furious standards. And I loved it. You know what? That's fair. I'll agree to that. I was told that the movie's completely like 180 at, at movie 5 which is what they totally do. That's where they kind of become what they are now, and that's where they sort of do that Ocean's Eleven, sort of bring the whole team together. Yeah, y- yes and no. It kind of starts going that direction in number four, if I remember correctly, but number five is when it goes real hard. Like, and here's the thing about, about Tokyo Drift, number three. Like, I agree it's a bad movie, but there's a part of me that kind of enjoyed it, so I get where Jeff is coming from. Four is just bad. It is boring. Oh, yeah, wasn't that the one where they were trying to take down the... Uh... Mexican drug cartel or something? I don't know. There's always a cartel. Every every movie past the first one's about cartel so far. I think yeah. I think it is the Mexican one, though. No, not not past five, I don't think, because um, in six and seven, they start taking on, like, cyber crime gangs. Like, Jason Statham shows up in seven, I think. He's the main bad guy. And I forget whatever actor played him, but the main bad guy of number six was his brother. And yeah. Vin Diesel doing Vin Diesel things kills him. So Jason Statham is out for revenge. Yeah, uh, the guy who played the main bad guy in that one was also in Dracula Rising, or one of the Universal bad prequel things. Oh, it's the guy who played, isn't it the guy who played Beast in Beauty and the Beast? No, not Beast, no, I'm sorry, Gaston. uh, Gaston, yes. Uh, Oh, Luke Evans? Yeah, Luke Evans. Yes, Luke Evans. He was in the Hobbit movies. Oh, yeah. Bard the Bowman. I guess he's also a bad guy. Also, they stole the plot from Die Hard 3. Oh, yeah, they did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they totally did. 
Uh, okay, so I think uh, I think we're I think we've done enough talking about this ridiculous franchise. In conclusion, Anita and I will probably watch six and seven very soon, <laughs> and eight. <laughs> Has eight and come eight. out? Yeah, it came oh, out yeah. Uh, a while ago. Oh God! Oh God! And yeah, I don't remember, Charlie's Theron. I don't remember in which one of them it is. I think it's seven, maybe. Um, there is a scene where they're like in Dubai, and they drive a car out of one skyscraper into another it's becoming a parody of itself <laughs> take that how you will that's why i love it i also want to see that now that's why i love the series it's just it started out as kind of a serious thing and then it just it became the cabin in the woods for horror movies <laughs> for race car movies sadly oh cabin in the, Mo- in the woods was an amazing movie fight oh me. yeah oh yeah no that movie was great <laughs> So, what do we got next? Eric, you're up. So, I guess we can talk about It, Chapter 2. I just saw it last night. Um, I saw it on Friday. You saw it on Friday. And I don't know how much Jacob cares, but I feel like it was a, a, a very well done film because uh, if you watch like the original TV miniseries from like 1991 that had uh, Tim Curry as Pennywise, when it gets to the second portion of the movie, when they're adults, they're constantly having these flashbacks to when they were kids fighting him for the first time. Because the premise of it is that every 27 years, it comes back and it starts hunting and eating children, killing children, and people go missing. But if you leave the town, you don't remember any of that. But the movie, I feel like, did a very good job of exploring the continuation and the conclusion of not only the journey of the group of characters as a whole, but like each character's individual journey that they had. Yeah, absolutely. And this isn't too much spoilers, but in the very beginning, there is a very, I'd say, not hateful, but very kind of putting the spotlight on where we've been going from here. This kind of social commentary of, Basically, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't agree that you wouldn't say hateful because yeah, no, like, it was it's a small town. Hateful. That's kind of how small yeah. towns are. Yeah, but I don't think they meant to do it as anything saying "Hey, f the gays" or anything like that. No, but no, no, absolutely that, not. It was to say that hey, this is you. This is what we're becoming. If I can make a comment about that real quick, so. Yes, of course. I've not seen the movie yet. Uh, I'm excited to see it, and um, and I loved the first one. But uh, I've got two friends of mine. Uh, they are my buddy from college and his fiance. They're they're they are a gay couple, and one of them is a huge fan of horror movies. So of course they went to go see it like the Thursday night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of them really liked it. The other one, he he told me he was he was very uncomfortable with that opening scene. No, absolutely. Well, yeah. I don't think he was, and I th- and he's and he's the kind of guy who knows and understands that this is the time period, this is how things are, but it's still kind of... It- well, no, the, the way that they did it is that the first movie was set in 89, so this one was set in 2016. So it's set in a modern, it's a modern setting. I mean, like, did that part happen in the 80s or in the in the late 80s or the modern times? Modern. No, that happened in modern. Okay, yeah, it, it made him very uncomfortable. And I could, no, I, I can, I can see why, but at the same time, that's pretty much the entire point of like this kind of movie because it's not necessarily like yes there are jump scares but it's more about getting into your head kind of scary we're not we're gonna try not to get into 
too many spoilers, especially for Jacob. You can go ahead. I mean, I've I've read. Mo- I know how the story goes. I've I've seen the miniseries. Just don't like any any big surprises. Don't don't ruin them. Everybody dies. No, Bill Hader. No. Okay. Speaking of, it was a dream. Speaking of, <laughs> the only cast members aside from uh, Bill Skarsgård reprising as Pennywise that I like knew their names were. James McAvoy and Bill Hader, both of who did an amazing job. The other the other actors, like I said, I don't know them from anything else, but everybody in that movie did a, a very good job. Um, yeah. Bill Hader to me was like the breakout, like that. He did phenomenal. Everything he touches is gold. Oh yeah, he was awesome. I've been trying to uh, watch his series, uh, that series Barry with him in it. It's that um, HBO series, right? Yeah, it is. But unfortunately, I haven't really been able to sit down and do it. I heard it's amazing. Yeah, he was awesome. And the person who played the girl... Bryce Dallas Howard. Is that who that was? No. Oh. They look exactly the same. Jessica Chastain, Bryce Dallas Howard, Amy Adams, Isla Fisher. (laughs) Which one is it? (laughs) She was the uh, girl in the Loser Club. She was actually in... uh, Jurassic Park, The Lost World. That was Bryce Dallas Howard. No, The Lost Wait, no, World, not, not, lost, not no, Jurassic not World. The Jurassic uh, World, Jurassic World, Jurassic World Jurassic was Bryce Dallas Howard. Jessica Chastain was an it. That's um, that's how confusing they are. <laughs> oh, <son of> a... <laughs> she was in um, she apparently was in Dark Phoenix. Okay. Oh, she was in The Help. Yeah. She's in Zero Dark Thirty. She looks just like Bryce oh, Dallas yeah. Howard. <laughs> are they twins or something? Or maybe they're actually clones it's the same thing over and, they and over again. about each other <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no everybody was awesome in it what about the length i've a lot of the comments i've read in the reviews is that it's kind of too long for what it is what's your feelings on that guys it was uh, a relatively long movie like um our showing was seven fifteen yesterday after previews started probably about seven thirty, and uh we didn't get out of the theater till about ten fifteen, so it was long, but there was a lot that I felt like they had to do. Towards the end of the movie, these scenes keep happening, and you're thinking, "Okay, this is the end. Okay, this is the end." And that, like, I had that going on in my head for like twenty minutes. It did what it needed to. If they hadn't had that length for the film, there would have been some some things that were kind of unexplored and would have probably left people a little more confused. Um, mm-hmm. I also feel like, and it's been a very long time since I read the actual book, but I feel like there are also some plot threads that they put into the movie that didn't exist in the original miniseries or in the book, maybe, but that were later expanded upon by Stephen King, like in his little side this and that kind of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do also enjoy that they gave stephen king a cameo in the movie really yes he was awesome they gave him a they gave him a cameo uh all the stanley like james mcavoy's character is bill he's the kid that had the stutter and at one point he goes into this like antique shop because he sees his old bicycle from when he was a kid in there and um stephen king's character is just railing on him because he's a writer but apparently none of his books have a good ending <laughs> and so that's a running joke throughout the whole movie is that Bill can't write an ending to save his life. Yeah. You mean like Stephen King. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Speaking of which, is the ending of this one with it, is, is it a little better than the ridiculous giant 
cave spider thing from the miniseries, or is it a better? Well, I mean, the giant cave spider still existed. Good. I'm just saying, is is it better? Is it was is it better done? Well done. Better is well done. I feel like yes, because they didn't use battery acid, which was very campy uh, in yeah. my mind. All right. So, what's your final take from both of you? Should people go see this, or should they wait to see it, like? in their homes or should they not see it at all? I, I feel like if you enjoyed the first movie, definitely because it gives you the closure um, because at the end of the first movie, you know, they all promise that they're going to come back. The only, I guess, kind of problem that I have with it is that, you know, they gave Stephen King a cameo. Uh, I feel like it would have been kind of nice if they also gave Tim Curry a cameo, but that's just me. You, you know, he's in a wheelchair uh, recovering from stroke, right? I mean, Real life people exist in wheelchairs, man. Like, they could have put them in there. Fair point. I really enjoyed it. I'd say definitely go see it. Just know that it's going to be an investment. Don't get one of those giant, like, uh, Excel Super Gulp. Yeah, don't get the Super Gulp. Don't you tell me what to do. I mean, okay, but if you have to get up and go pee, like, an hour and a half into the movie and you start missing some stuff, that's your fault. Oh, God, you're right. Exactly. That's just like with Endgame. If you had to get up and go pee and you miss something, you can blame yourself. You can only blame yourself. You could definitely get up and walk out during certain portions of that movie. You don't need to be there for Hulk in a diner. Like, that's not necessary. I'm still upset about when we went to go see that and they took 40 minutes to make my chicken strips. I can't believe you just didn't, like, leave. You missed, like, the whole opening already, part of that. I already, already paid for my chicken strips, and I was hungry. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he didn't come in until... Was that Endgame or Infinity Wars? It was Endgame. Yeah, you didn't come in until... Um, Thanos was dead already. Yeah, Thanos was dead already, and uh, it was after the time skip, and uh, Ant-Man was, like, walking down the, the barren street. Oh, yeah, that's a lot to miss. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just a little bit. But I have watched it, like, five times since then, so I'm not... We're probably going to watch it again tonight. Yeah, you made up for it. Yeah, I need to watch it again. It was really good. Jeff, lay it on us. What what do you got today? Let's get into the game playing part of this, and let's go to Magic the Gathering Arena. Magic the Gathering! Arena time! Arena! (laughs) So Magic the Gathering Arena is a... Basically, it's the... It's the Hearthstone of Magic. Yes, it's Magic's answered Hearthstone. Primarily, it's a one-on-one standard and draft thing i've been getting a little worn out of it but they actually recently introduced a new format which they introduced didn't uh, they put um it's brawl they put in there isn't it yeah they just introduced that oh that's the best super smash brothers game yes <laughs> but also <laughs> i'm not gonna but say also, melee because i'm not one of oh wait no people, i meant to say but... melee melee is supposedly the best one sorry go you know what <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll see you down below. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, Wizards Egg just introduced Brawl to the format and the uh, form of a kind of a small-time event. The full release, I believe, is going to be at the end of the month. I haven't played Arena since um, War of the Spark, but isn't the Brawl... Like, there's like four pre-con decks that you can use... Yeah, they they introduced it as a kind of small, like, special event. As they Trying do. to, like, test the water kind of thing. Yep, exactly. For those of you not familiar, Magic the Gathering is a card game that... The first card game. Yeah, technically not the first first card game. The most but... successful. The yes. granddaddy collectible trading card, destroy your wallet. <laughs> 
Yeah, but yeah, basically there are a lot of different formats that come out for it. One of the more popular formats that I know that Eric really likes is one called Commander, in which Oof. basically you have uh, one card acting as the quote-unquote general of the uh, deck, and then have one copy of 99 other cards other than lands. Other than your basic lands, yeah. yeah. It's um, It's a singleton format, so you've got your legendary creature acting as uh, the leader. It's the commander of the deck. And all of the all of the other cards within that deck have to be uh, in the same color identity as that commander. So if like your commander has a costing, uh, costing cast of like a white and a blue, every other card in your deck has to be white or blue. You can't use red, black, green. Yeah. So... They Wizards designed a format called Brawl, which is the basically I'd say Commander Light, where instead of having the hundred cards, you have sixty cards, and then uh, same basic rules except that everyone starts at a slightly different life total. I think it's, it's um thirty for Brawl, isn't it? Yeah, because I know it's forty for Commander. Yeah, but with the one-on-one format, they actually changed it to um, 25, just to kind of balance that out a little bit. But anyway, I actually found the pre-cons to be a lot of fun. They were designed by a lot of former Magic pros and things like that. But overall, it gave you a taste for the format and seems like a good stepping off point and no we're not no wizards is not paying us to do this but wizards doesn't need to pay us to do this wizards wizards has us wrapped around their fingers like so many so many other wrapped finger things rings (laughs) (laughs) i mean if they want to send us products to review i will gladly i will gladly accept free free things free things are always the best (laughs) Uh, no I want to go yeah. off of that analogy you gave there. It's like it's like a magic a commander light. Isn't it more like if commander was Coca-Cola, wasn't this more like new coke because didn't wizards like announce it but then it, they didn't really support it very much? Yeah, it 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 kind of it it did kind of bomb at first. Um I don't know about on paper right now because I have not played magic like actually in a probably about a year and a half. Um but brawl is you can call it Commander Light, but I like to think of it more as like standard Commander because you know with the standard format, there's rotation every year, and Brawl follows that rotation. Yeah. Okay. And that's an issue that I think people have with it because like if you're building a deck like this and you want to put all the combos and all the the crazy, like crazy fun stuff into it, and then it rotates and you have to do it all again, and it's different if you're playing something like Standard where it's actually competitive. And if you do well enough and, and pursue it hard enough, you can make a small amount of money off of it. But with something like this that's not really prize format supported or, tur- or tournament supported, it kind of takes away the understanding of rotation. Well, that's just me. Yeah. When they first introduced Brawl, the standard rotation was just about to happen, so... Everyone was just like, cool, a new format. I'm not going to be able to use half these cards. <laughs> In about four just... months, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, they introduced it when Dominaria came out, if 
I'm right. Yeah, they did. Everything before that basically rotated out, and then you started building up again. But Wizards has been trying to really, really push Brawl, but they haven't been, like you said, they haven't been really doing like the tournament support, things like that. So they're, they're trying to make Fetch happen, and it's just not happening yet. Correct. Exactly, okay. yeah. Um, but one thing that I do actually like about the concept of Brawl is that uh, unlike in Commander, you can actually use any legendary creature or Planeswalker as the commander of that deck. You'd be the person to use the fairy, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I would not, actually. Oh, thank I don't, God. I don't know entirely what's in rotation right now, but I would probably do uh, the Nicobolus Dragon God. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> but that's because I'm dirty and I like Grixis cards. Like, Yeah. Also... <laughs> It's a shame that if you're saying came out around Dominaria, because that was the set where you got legendary creatures at like uncommon. Yeah. Yeah, no. It was but I mean, Dominaria, Dominaria is just going to be rotating just now, I think. Yeah, it's, it's leaving soon, I think. So. Yeah, it's going to be uh, leaving in October, I believe. Yeah, whenever Throne of Eldraine comes out. Yeah, but yeah, going back to Arena, I personally, I love the interface. It's it's very snappy. There's a lot of stuff to like about it. The problem that I have is that it's been about a year since it's come out, and they haven't introduced anything new other than, oh, your standard draft and then standard. To be honest with you, Jeff, I don't think they plan to, um, because Arena is more meant for, I think, that casual kind of play. Um, yeah. MTGO still exists for like the more... Uh, high-tier competitive play where you've got Legacy, you've got Modern, you've got Commander. It's all there. Yeah, but also they've been introducing like the traditional three uh, best of threes, and then they're also working on the historic format, which is basically standard plus. But the way that they've described it is that they're going to slowly introduce cards that are like from Modern and from different mm -hmm. uh, formats. Like, they've said that they're going to be sprinkling in, like, Brainstorm, uh, I think Worm Coil Engine. Oof. Yeah, no, and I'm just like, those cards are going to break this. And I will say that one thing, like, speaking of those kind of special things that I feel like Arena has done very well, is back when War of the Spark was coming out uh, on paper, they were doing like weekly different events. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool because it kind of chronicled the war against Nicobolus and the Eternals and all that. I felt like that was really cool. And also, uh, the one after that that they were doing was kind of like the, uh, I'm doing air quotes here, Plaincation, <laughs> which, <laughs> like that. which was basically it was a shorter event time. But each one was kind of in flavor with the plane that they were visiting. Like they had Ravnica, and you could only build decks with uh, sets from the recent Ravnica and War of the Spark there. But as a prize for playing, you were able to get like the cool full art basic lands from Unhinged and things like that, which was actually really cool. That got me back into it, and then once that faded, I was just like, okay, back to the job. <laughs> Because as soon as it feels like a job, 
I kind of clock out of it. No, absolutely. Because then it's I'm just there grinding on my quests and trying to build up my gold so that I can buy more packs. But it feels much more like a job than actually like a fun activity. And the minute you have to start doing that on any game. And that that right there is the precise reason why I don't get into like hardcore endgame rating in uh, MMOs because it is like a second job. Like you have to be like these are the raid times and you have to be on and you have to learn perfectly what to do. So actually that's a great segue. I want to go talk about Eric's next thing cuz we're talking about MMOs and stuff like that. Yes, yeah, so the other thing that I uh, other topic that I want to talk about was Final Fantasy 14 which is online it's an MMO much like World of Warcraft but in my opinion much better as somebody who played World of Warcraft for like 8 years. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy 14 back in the end of June, beginning of July released the third expansion uh shadowbringers because they want to be goth <laughs> sorry <laughs> yes i'm sorry yes and no um it, it, it's it's a little more complicated than that oh um, absolutely the the biggest thing that i feel like they do well and it it absolutely outshone anything else that they've done in this game to date is that first and foremost it is a final fantasy game there is a story. There are things happening. You know, you're you're there to to protect people. You're the hero of light. Except for this time, they kind of flipped the script. The premise of it was, or is, that within Final Fantasy XIV, the world once existed as a whole, but there was an event which they explain at the end of the main story of the expansion that shattered the world into fourteen shards. Your player character is from what's called the Source. It's what's left of the original planet. And you travel to the First, which is a shard of the original planet, where kind of the balance of light and dark has tipped toward the light. And you learn that overwhelming light can be just as bad for the world and bad for the people as like darkness. So the premise of it is that as the warrior of darkness now, you go around and you slay uh, these things called Light Wardens. And as you do, the night sky comes back to whatever region you just slayed the Light Warden for. But getting into it, it is first and foremost a Final Fantasy game. So you have all of your fantasy aspects. You have you know, your magic. You have your dudes with big swords. There's not as much anime here as like old Final Fantasy. Literally unplayable. But also, they introduced a new race, which are... Bunny ladies. Well, they they introduced two new races. Yeah, they introduced the Viera, which are the the bunny ladies, um, <laughs> who have previously only ever shown up in Final Fantasy twelve. Can you spell that? I need to, I need to see correct. what a bunny lady looks like. I gotta Google this. I I typed the name in the in the chat, and then you also have the um, Hrothgar, which are very big, burly catmen. And if you've ever played Final Fantasy ten, which I absolutely detest. They are called, in Final Fantasy X, they're called the Ronso. And when you go to uh, the first shard, that's what they actually call them there. So I felt like that was a pretty cool nod. Another thing that they did also is that, actually just over this weekend, Square Enix released the remastered version of uh, Final Fantasy VIII, which, as we know, has everybody's favorite emo gunsword boy, uh, Squall. In Final Fantasy XIV and Shadowbringers, they introduced Gunbreaker, 
which uses the Gunblade uh, as a job, which is a tank. Uh, I have not played it, but it looks really cool. They also introduced um, Dancer into Final Fantasy XIV, which traditionally, I believe, in like the old Final Fantasy games is like a healer class, but they made it a, uh, a ranged DPS class, which I've been actually playing and enjoying a lot. Aside from that, if you like like the old Final Fantasy, like, say, Final Fantasy three, where you can have your characters change their job, like, you can be a Red Mage one minute, and in between battles, you want to be a Dark Knight, you can swap to that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Yeah, that like, that's the biggest draw to me on Final Fantasy fourteen over WoW, is that you can make one character, and they can do everything in the game. You don't have to make a separate character if you want to be a, a tank or a healer. It's all right there. If there's anything of issue out of it, I'd say is that the fact that you have to go in, level it up as that, but also really just being able to play that one character is awesome. I'm just being whiny for whiny's sake, just because the fact that your alternate class starts at level one, so you have to go all the way back up through there. Yes and no, it depends on what class that you actually play. So if you're yeah. playing one of the classes that came out in A Realm of Born, like let's say you've leveled up Monk all the way to level 80, which is the current level cap, but you decide, hey, I want to go play a Paladin, then you'll start at level one. If you want to play any of the classes that have been added in the expansions, so Heaven's Word, they added three new classes, uh, Dark Knight as a tank, Astrologian as a healer, and uh, Machinist, which is a, a ranged DPS that uses guns. If you go pick up those, you start at level 30. The two new jobs that they introduced in Stormblood, the last expansion, which was Red Mage and Samurai, will start at level 50. And then Gunbreaker and Dancer, you'll start at level 60. So, question then. Mm -hmm. Now, I was surprised that Final Fantasy XIV has still been honestly going on, and I remember you, you had actually picked up a while back i think that not the last expansion the one before that they're, they're actually advertising it through uh one of the fast food places i remember you had a or a convenience store they had they had the drink they uh the drink cup you had had an advertisement for the game yeah that was um stormblood came out uh, about two years ago and they had a and i have no idea why they had a partnership with hardy's that is a random place to have it's a very random with. but it's still like uh, it's a partnership now I have not been keeping in touch with MMOs. And they've also they've also done partnerships with like little snack cakes and stuff. Oh, that's that's fun too. So, <laughs> and that's the point because usually these days, the only MMO people hear about, like I feel from a very public standpoint, is World of Warcraft. I feel like um, there was a time when when there was an MMO out every month. There was a new one, and most of them have died off. I think there's still some that are supported. I don't know if like Lord of the Rings Online is still going on. I, I don't know if you count. What is it? Eve Online? Is that it? With the spaceships? That's Excel the MMO. Excel. <laughs> so where does this game lie now in the state of MMOs? And, and what is the nature of MMOs these days now, from, from, from what you can see? I feel like it depends on who you ask. There are always going to be people who are very hardcore World of Warcraft players. And like they're, they're ride or die. Like I said, I played World of Warcraft for seven, eight years after it first came out. And I loved it. But the issue that I had with it is that before that, as a kid, I had played like the, the RTS Warcraft, like Warcraft 1, Warcraft 2, Warcraft 3, and 
Blizzard had messed has they just went in and they retconned and messed up a whole bunch of lore from those games and to me it just kind of ruined it. With Final Fantasy fourteen, although it, it does have less subscribers, I believe, than World of Warcraft, I feel like uh, Square Enix does a much better job than Blizzard does with their MMO. Because you have roughly every three months you have a new patch coming out with uh, updated story content, raids, etc. The thing with Final Fantasy fourteen, when it first launched in 2010, uh, version 1.0, it was so bad and it was so widely panned by everybody that Square Enix decided to step in. They fired the director of the game and they hired um, the the current producer and director who uh, we affectionately know as Yoshi P. And they quite literally killed the world with fire and then rebuilt it from the ground up. The MMO. Yes. Oh, wow. So, like, in, in, in story, in-game, patch 1.28... I believe there is a giant moon that's coming. It's crashing down towards the planet. And then when they killed the servers, they played a cutscene. And what it actually ends up being is that moon was actually a prison for Bahamut. And so he breaks out of the prison and all the, the shards of it go flying everywhere. And I mean, things are just totaled and destroyed. And so, like I said, they hired a new producer and he rebuilt it from the ground up, and they just have been doing phenomenally ever since. That's crazy. Going back also to like the Final Fantasy VIII kind of thing, the current, and I don't do the um, Savage, which is like the hardcore raids, I just do the regular version, which you can get on and do in an hour, all four of them, and you're done for the week. The current raids for, the eight-man raids anyway, for Shadowbringers are based off of Eden, which was a summon from Final Fantasy VIII, which I never found in that game, by the way. But it's a thing. Hidden boss? Kind of, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. The first Eden raid, it actually uses the attack animation that Eden uses in Final Fantasy VIII as a summon, which I feel like was really cool. So they get to incorporate stuff from the entire series and put it into the online game. Yeah, and I mean, they they have always, I mean, you've, you've got You've got your summons, um, like Ramo, Shiva, Ifrit, those kind of things. Traditionally, in Final Fantasy games, there are summons that you can use uh, that do like field-wide damage. Except for in fourteen, they're actually bosses that you have to fight. Also, I have Google image search here for the Vera, and I need to clear my browser history now. Thank you. You're welcome. And then, just for anybody listening to this at some point who might be interested. Shadowbringers patch 5.1 is probably coming out uh, late October, early November. Uh, it's going to have the first of the 24-man raid cycle for uh, Shadowbringers, which is apparently going to be based off of uh, near Automata. Oh, that's kind of cool. Oh, what is well, Sorry, what is Automata? Automata? It's a uh, action RPG by Square as well. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. That's neat. So they're going to be having that. The previous raid series they have... For the 24-mans during uh, Realm Reborn, which was 2.0, they had um, the Crystal Tower, which was from Final Fantasy III. Heaven's Word, I believe they did original content for that. And then the 24-man for Stormblood was called Return to Ivalice, which Ivalice is the world that Final Fantasy XII and Final Fantasy Tactics have have been set on. 
And so it was just full of references to all of that. Very cool. Anything else about Final Fantasy Online and Shadowbringers? Um, it's fun. You can do everything. <laughs> it's cool. It's, it's fun. It's cool. You can do everything on one character. Again, we're not being paid by Square Enix, but, you know, I would be willing to accept. <laughs> um, it is available. You can play it on PC or PS4, and they are cross-play. So, like, I play on PC, but my brother plays on his PS4, and we can play together. That's actually really cool. That's a really cool thing. You don't see that a lot. Yeah. Eh, maybe I'll check it out someday. I just, you know, it's time sinks like that. It's hard to get into those. It's it's a time sink, and it is also subscription based. So oh yeah, no, 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 thanks. yeah, yeah. No. because I know that it, that definitely works for a lot of people. Not for me at the moment. I would like to talk about a little bit of a time sink as well. We're also going to talk about another Vidya game. This is the Sinking City. It is uh, described as a action adventure mystery horror Vidya game. From Frogwares, which is a publisher out of Ukraine. They're known for making a bunch of uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, video games. They've made a ton of those. I have not had the chance to play them, but if anyone is aware of the Creepy Watson meme, which has went around a couple years back. Are they the ones that made like the Sherlock Holmes versus uh, Jack the Ripper? They did Murder of the Mummy. The, I'm sorry, Mystery of the Mummy, The Case of the Silver Earring, The Awakened... One where he's up against Lupine. They did a game called Dracula Origin. Oh, yeah. Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper. Okay. And the last one they did was uh, was in 2016 was The Devil's Daughter, which you got for free if you pre-ordered The Sinking City, which I did because I was super excited about this game. It's essentially like the Sherlock Holmes games. You're playing a detective named Charles Reed. It's the 1920s or so in uh, a fictional island off the coast of Massachusetts called Oakmont. Basically, what they did is they took... Every single story from H.P. Lovecraft, they uh, from the Cthulhu mythos, they bundled it into a ball and they just set it there. So you are in this destroyed island city. It, it suffered a huge cataclysmic floods. The entire place is half of the streets are completely flooded. You need a boat to get around. Uh, the buildings are destroyed. There's dead fish and sharks and octopus guts everywhere. People are wandering around, like, burning food over, you know, fire in, in garbage pails and whatnot. So it's like it's like they got hit by uh, a hurricane. Essentially, yeah. Essentially. Except the hurricane is clearly eldritch in some creepy way. And so he shows up there because he's having these crazy visions. He's a World War I uh, veteran. He's a detective. But he keeps seeing these horrific visions, which is cool. You get to see one of them before the game starts. And, he's, and somebody sends him a mysterious letter who who tells him he knows what's wrong, come to Oakmont, and he'll help out. And he meets him there. He, he takes the boat, he meets him at the dock, and he meets this man. I forget the man's name, but he's dressed all in yellow. Hmm, I wonder mm. what that means. He who should not be named? Yeah, essentially. It's, uh, the game is not subtle. The game is not subtle. So you're, you find out very quickly. So you've got the Oakmonters, who follow their own like religion and god, who they call K. There are Innsmithers there. Basically, they all after the events of after the events of Shadows over Innsmouth, they all moved as refugees to the city. Huh. Talk about like the world's worst luck. Your hometown gets raided, and you go to like the worst possible location. You've got these like gross fish people. The game does not shy away from it, it. It makes it very explicitly. It doesn't shy away from the racist overtones that H.P. Lovecraft was unfortunately known for. However, they don't focus it on 
like normal racism. They focus it on people hating the Innsmithers and people calling uh, the Throgmorton family, which is this really important family. But the guy who's the head of it right now looks like a half eight person. He's essentially uh, taken from uh, one of the stories where uh, this guy had an ape as a wife and and this guy finds out i forget i forget which lovecraft story it is it's another one about miscegenation and just horrible racism and uh but they include it in there and it's a part of the story and so the the way this works is you talk to a lot of people and you enter areas that you need to investigate and a little icon pops up and says investigate this area you find tons of clues you 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 find supplies you put things together And you create deductions, which is really neat. And you can kind of maybe go one way or the other based on what you see. And uh, and it's a really neat concept. And I really enjoy the way it has you investigating mysteries. That's a lot of fun. I love looking for clues. I love trying to piece together the mystery that's happening right now. And that's neat. The game doesn't try to hold your hand. It doesn't tell you where to go. It may say, oh, this person has this. You're either going to have to go to the, the local newspaper and see if and look in their archives or go to the hospital and try to find a patient, uh, you know, if they're injured. And that's really cool. And also there's a huge map. Every street is is named and they all have like really cool Lovecraft names like Providence Street and, you know, Howard Street and all these other like authors who are known for doing the mythos. And it will say, oh, find the person at the intersection of there and there. And you'll have to travel there either by boat or by foot. There's very few fast travel points, so you really feel like you're hitting the pavement as like a detective. And that's kind of cool. Unfortunately, the game is not perfect to the point where I'm maybe on the second or third major mission, and I'm probably going to put this game down forever. It is the jankiest damn game I have ever played. There have been glitches where like a door that's supposed to open will not open, and I had to reboot the game. I'm in the middle of a random boss fight, which keeps glitching in certain ways. Like when you look at monsters or dead bodies, your sanity meter goes down. You start seeing visions, and it's really cool. And I thought, oh, I'm looking at this giant, disgusting boss, and my thing isn't going down. Maybe I'm, maybe this doesn't happen here. And then I died, and then, and then it did happen, and then it didn't happen. And then I tried to pull my gun on it, but it wouldn't pull the gun. And I'm like, why is this not working? And then I die. And then I have to sit there for five minutes waiting for the loading screen to finish out. And I only fought the boss and died like three times. I didn't even bother after that because I'm waiting for almost two to five minutes to load up where I just was. You walk down the street. You see people popping into existence out of nowhere, like a ton of people. They just sort of appear. uh, And you think, oh, that's creepy. Oh, no, wait, that's a glitch. They're just appearing out of nowhere. So... I know that you said that the developer of this game was some company called Frogwares. Yes. But are we sure that it's not actually a Bethesda game? (laughs) (laughs) Because it sounds a little bit like a Bethesda game at this moment in time. It does, but the thing is, like, at least Bethesda Bethesda. pretends to make changes or tries to make changes to their games, usually. Well, the, the, the glitches in Bethesda games are features more than anything at this point. Like, Yeah. It is not a feature. For one thing, unfortunately, they they put this combat system in where bullets are really scarce and hard to find, so you don't want to waste them. And then there are these monsters that are, like, hard to hit, and just the mechanics for the combat are not there. It is not supposed to be a shooting game, and they kind of tossed it in there. And if this game had a much better combat system or removed it entirely, I would enjoy it so much more. If this was just, like, a... 
like a mystery kind of, you know, almost, almost like a point and click adventure where you picked dialogue options and, and unfolded a story. I would enjoy that so much more than, you know, walking into a thing and then, and then feeling scared, not because it's scary and creepy, which it is, but because I don't know if a monster is going to pop out and I'm going to die because I can't aim correctly. So it sounds kind of like it's Resident Evil, except for Lovecraft. Because Resident Evil has, for in my experience, and I haven't played all of them, but has a lot of the same kind of issues with the combat where ammunition is hard to find. The aiming kind of sucks. It takes ten bullets, like all of which are features of that game. Yeah, and I think what they were just not this. I game. think they were going for that too. It's just it gets really annoying after a while. And the worst part is, I really am enjoying the story and the atmosphere. So I might try and pick it up again. I just got so frustrated. And you know, I mean, I'm a huge Lovecraft fan, and I keep comparing this to that one that came out last year, the Call of Cthulhu official game, which there's a lot of similarities to in terms of. Uh, a very Innsmouthy plot, uh, a, lo- a very Eldritch Island location off of Massachusetts, a private detective who fought in a war. We're hitting the same beats here, but th- that's very Lovecraft, though. That makes sense. But Sinking City right now, you've really got to want to get through it. I would not recommend it if any of this at all sounds frustrating, because it will frustrate you. Uh, I, I would say, because I, I pull up the Wikipedia, it looks like it came out in uh, June. Yeah, it just came out end of June. And supposedly there's a Switch version coming out for it, like, this week. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <sighs> I don't know how that's going to... If you're having, like, that hard of a time with it, give it a give it maybe another month or so and, and try it again, because they might put out a patch. patch that would be nice. Yeah. That would be really nice if they could patch it. If you look at the review scores, it's all over the place. Some people loved this game and some were like this is the worst. It is a very it's a very divided game. Uh and so I think it's really mm-hmm. it really appeals to people like me who like that kind of Sherlock Holmes mystery and Lovecraft and all that stuff, but uh there might be people who just say don't waste your time. May watch a review uh of 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 it being played because it's one thing for me to talk about it, but see for yourself. The story sounds really interesting, but with all these glitches and everything, I'll probably wait a year or so to pick it up. Makes sense. I would agree. Um, Speaking of video games. Oh, yeah. It's me now. (laughs) So. (laughs) On a topic I have no, no information of. Okay. So, fun fact about me is that my first time playing a collectible card game was not, in fact, Magic the Gathering. It was a game called Yu-Gi-Oh. It wasn't Pokemon? It wasn't Pokemon. I collected, like everybody else, collected Pokemon cards. Never actually played the game. I think I played Pokemon for a while when I was young. For me, I, I think it was all about the collecting the cards and getting everything there. But my first actual experience playing an art, a TCG was Yu-Gi-Oh! Which Magic players really like to make fun of because basically... It's a children's card game. (laughs) I'm going to defeat you in a children's card game. I do not make fun of it because it's a children's card game. I make fun of it because the first season of the anime for Yu-Gi-Oh! came out before the actual card game did. So the rules were literally made up on the spot. A secondary reason that I make fun of it is that because... So they had like the original Yu-Gi-Oh! anime series and they had Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, I think, was the second one. Yes. Um... And I was playing the I was playing those cards through that time, and then they came out with the next one, which is like Yu-Gi-Oh! Five Ds, and 
after that point, motorcycles. after that point, like the rules of the actual card game made no sense to me. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. So Yu-Gi-Oh is a card game where basically you summon monsters to try and kill your opponent. The monsters are from ancient Egypt. Yes, ancient Egypt, then some from like lore, such as the ancient Egyptian myth of the beaver warrior. <laughs> I'm sorry. What the hell? What? It's a fact, though. You don't mess with Beaver Warrior. You do not. (laughs) But moving on from there, I used to play Yu Gi Oh! a fair bit. I watched the anime series, and just recently, Nintendo Switch released a video game, Yu-Gi-Oh! Legacy of the Duelist Link Evolution, which is basically it's the same game. It has a single-player story mode, which it runs through all of the seasons of the anime, which is basically six or seven different series, and each one introduces a weird different mechanic to it. And a protagonist with crazier and crazier hair. Yep, exactly. And supposedly between the time that I stopped playing and the time that I I picked this up, they changed the rules a lot. totally again. A lot again. And I'm just like, I'm playing this and I'm like, wait, why can't I summon this monster again? Oh, it's because you can only summon one of a certain type here. And I'm like, son of a... Yeah. It's taking a lot of getting used to, but overall, I'd say that it's a fun game because it it is a it is literally a simulator of the Yu-Gi-Oh card game, and it takes cards from like the original series all the way up to the newest one that came out. I think last year, but it's just like I like that feeling of nostalgia, where it's like. Oh, I used to play that card. Oh, that card was horrible. Why did I play that card? It's interesting. I like it a lot. But the game looks like it came out for the Game Boy Advance. Oh. But it doesn't have to be that much to it. So basically it's like if they said, Hey, let's do the uh, Magic the Gathering Online thing. Because MTGO is not the prettiest. They didn't try and make it something that it wasn't. They're not trying to make it like a really flashy, really like spectacular thing like in the anime, unfortunately. But it gets the job done and you're able to play games on the go on the Switch. So I enjoy it. It's fun. I will say that as far as I see it, Yu-Gi-Oh! is the Digimon to Magic the Gathering's Pokemon. Exactly, yes. Yes. And it's also, it's the Digimon to Magic's Tamagotchi. Because, let's get OG Okay, but but here's the thing. (laughs) The same company that made Tamagotchi made Digimon. You take that back. No, like, actually, like, factually, Digimon, no, Digimon were created as Tamagotchis by the same company that were marketed more towards young boys. 
There are actual Digimon toys that are act- literally just Tamagotchis. I, I, yeah, they were I, awesome. You, why do you have to ruin my life like this? You don't have because because we hate you. Don't you, have Jacob. to do this to me, but you do it. So because with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> oh my God, and the power of my knowledge, I have to be responsible and spread this. Thank you so much for talking to me today about all these things I really had no idea about. You're blowing my mind, and also I hate you both. <laughs> I hate love me you too. This is, this is great. So um, next, we'll, we'll join you all hopefully next week. We'll see what we've got for next time. Uh, thank you all for listening. And once again, check out our Extra Life page. Donate money to us. And by us, we mean Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And we'll catch you all on the flip side. So, but uh, but uh, Bye. Bye. Bye.